church. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord. Thank you, God, that uh, you saw fit for us to be a church. And not just a, one little church all by ourselves, but a church just part of the kingdom. We, know, we recognize that we're just a small part of what you're doing, Lord. So we're thankful that we get to celebrate four years, Lord. And we just pray that we can continue to make an impact in our community, local community, and around the world for your glory. Lord, our desire is just to grow in you and, and bring one more to you and to your kingdom, Lord. And so we just thank you for that. Lord, as we uh, continue on into this new year, some of us have uh, set goals, and we just pray for that, Lord, and some of us don't. Some of us uh, just wait and, and see uh, what you want us to do. But regardless of how we set our goals, Lord, our, our ultimate goal is to grow closer to you each and every day, each and every year. We thank you for the blessings of 2019, for the prayers that were answered, Lord, uh, in 2019, and then for the prayers and 2020 that are still out there, Lord, and we know that you'll do great things regardless of the outcome. You're king. So we thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue on, actually finish up our series in Joseph. Uh, maybe I'm making a bigger deal because it's a bigger deal for me, but every time we come to a closing of a series, I get a little sad. It's like, now what? But good news is, is right next week, right next week, next week, uh, we're going to start a new series in Colossians. We're real excited about that. Some of you I shared that we're doing Colossians, and some of you shared how it's your favorite, and some of you shared said it's been a while. So regardless, we're excited for that. With that said, we're going to finish out our series by reading uh, God's Word together. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Genesis 50. There are some guys coming down the aisle. If you need a Bible, just wave, and they'll give it to you. If you don't have a Bible, please keep it as your very own. We're going to be in Genesis 50, and we're going to start at verse 14. Genesis 50, verse 14. And it says, After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now their father was dead. Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sins in treating you so cruelly. So we, your servants of the, God, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received this message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended harm to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Let's pray again. God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We just pray that you speak to us, Lord, as you have spoken uh, to us through the series and anytime we're in your word through your spirit. So we invite you just to, to speak to us in a new way, Lord. Prepare our hearts. Whatever you want me to say, I say, and whatever you don't, I don't, Lord. Lord, we're thankful and we have your word to read freely, and we're not persecuted to gather here as so many around the world are. Lord, we, we don't want to take that for granted. So, Lord, as you speak, uh, just prepare our hearts. We thank you. We love you. In your name, amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> so this is season finale, series finale. Again, it's the whole 
uh, theme that I've been thinking of in the, in the back of my mind, like the Netflix original is coming to an end. Um, maybe you're like me and, and even before I finish off something or a good book series, I always, before I even finish the last couple of chapters, I try to already look forward to what I'm going to do to, to uh, cushion the blow of coming to the end. But yeah, I'm excited because we've gone through an, an entire life and we've seen Joseph. And originally the, the title or the tagline was Joseph, a back roads to a dream. And the thought was, if you have a dream and you kind of plan it out and you're prepared for it, how many times has your plan worked flawlessly? I'm O for a million. I don't know about you, but I, I've not ever written down a plan and it's worked out. Uh, I can think of the earliest days when I was a young kid and, and I, I planned to build this wonderful tree house in my backyard with my brother. First problem, there was no tree. Forgot that part, right? Plant a tree. You know, trees don't grow. Well, you guys know. Trees don't grow as fast as you'd like, right? Uh, but through my whole life, just planning it out, drawing pictures, being excited, and then first step, maybe a good one. A lot of times, not a good one. Whatever it is. And I just imagine Joseph. He had a dream at the very beginning of this series that we read when he was 17. And now he's getting longer in his life. And we'll finish it up with his death. But I can't even imagine at 17 years old, just reflecting on this whole series. I just had a dream. He just had a dream. And he's just, if I was him, I never would have imagined I would be here. Even, even as we celebrate the four years here, two years ago, I would have never told you I was going to move to Modesto. No offense, I didn't even know what Modesto was. Uh, and some of you, even, even today, you, you, you're sitting here, and, and if you look back over maybe just this week alone, or the last couple of years, would you have imagined this is where you would be at this moment in your life? All these grandiose plans that you have, which aren't bad, and some of them come true, and the road that you've got here, you know, we like a nice, solid, straight line, and I feel like for most of us, our road goes like this. But here we are, and that's what we see in Joseph. So one of the biggest things that, that I pulled out, at least for me personally, is to write your plans in pencil, not in ink. Write your plans in pencil, not in ink. Ink. Because what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to think of when I'm writing it down in pencil is, all right, God, here, here's what I think that you want me to do, and I'm seeking you, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm going after you, and, and I'm growing, hopefully, in you, and you've forgiven me, and you're good, and you're gracious. And, but at any time you just want to go ahead and erase that bad boy, go ahead. But if I'm writing it in ink, permanent marker, you know, the markers you don't let your little kids have because it ends up everywhere. Then what I'm saying, this is what I'm going to do. At least that's what this series has been to me. And now as we, as we come to an end, and I know we, we skipped a couple of chapters, I'm going to give you a recap here in a minute. And not that it's not important. But this is perhaps probably one of the greatest scenes in the life of Joseph as it comes to an end. So as we, as we skipped over, and I'll, I'll go over it, chapter 46 that we didn't read gives a list of all the, the descendants that would move. If you remember last week, uh, the brothers rush home to tell their dad, Jacob, hey, Joseph is alive, and the shares the testimony. He didn't believe it at first, and now finally he believes it, 
And now as a very old guy, he, he's now called Israel again, a man who wrestles with God. And, and now it gives a list of all the descendants. And there's 70 in total. All the men are in total 70, which in about 400 years, when the Israelites go into the wilderness, there'll be millions. And after it lists all the descendants, Joseph lets his family know that Pharaoh is going to ask you to come before him and he's going to ask you what is your gifts your abilities your strengths your occupation and and he sets them up and he goes this is what you got to tell him the truth tell him that you you raise livestock and and uh and you could take care of them and you've done that forever and your fathers and everyone you guys are really good farmers and take care of animals and then he will give you the land of goshen which is the best land that's what he promised me so just tell the truth and, and he said, and, and you're basically shepherds because you are, but the Egyptians don't like it, but that's okay because they'll send you north. So he tells them that. And then in chapter 47, Joseph brings five of his brothers and they told jo- uh, the Pharaoh what they did for a living and he blessed them with it. Verse eight of that, uh, Jacob comes and, and, and Pharaoh says, Jacob, how old are you? And then Jacob says this. He says, I have traveled the earth for 130 hard years. Jacob is 130 years old at this point. That's the NLT translation that we've been in. So the King James and the NIV and, and ESV says, I've been a pilgrim for a hard 130 years. And that's so significant because right in front of Pharaoh, he's saying, it's been a hard 130 years, but I know where my home is. It's with God in heaven. And then he goes on and he says, it's been hard and this is not my home. Heaven is. And Pharaoh listens to him. And then Jacob says, Hey, I want to bless you, Pharaoh. I want to bless you and all the Egyptians. And Pharaoh lets him. And this may not sound like a big deal, but the Pharaoh was considered a god at that time. He was the reincarnation of the sun god, Ra. And, and for a Pharaoh who was considered a god to be blessed by a man is a big deal. But if you remember, this is the same Pharaoh that he is the first recorded person that witnesses the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. So he's get, he gets blessed. The famine gets even worse. It goes on in that chapter. The famine gets worse. People are coming to Joseph and giving them all their money for the grain. And whenever they run out of money, they give them their livestock and the land. And then there's a couple more years left in the famine. They come up to Joseph. And these are the people all around in that area and says, look, we gave you all of our money. We gave you all of our land. We gave you all of our animals. We got to be slaves or we're going to die. And Joseph says, okay, I'll take you in. But he doesn't treat them like slaves. He simply collects 20% of everything they do and they're allowed to keep the rest. Joseph does, however, let the priest have the land for free. He doesn't want to take that and, and, and gives them food. And he just keeps 20% to continue on for the rest of the famine. 430 years from this moment, the exodus begins. And they go from a nation of 70, 77 people or so to millions, several million people in that 400 span. Jacob lives another 10 years, and he begs, he says to Joseph when he, on his dying, right before he's about to die, he says, please bury me with my fathers. Don't bury me in Egypt. Joseph promises, and in chapter 48, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons and his grandchildren. He then, in chapter 49, has this statement, which is like a poem, which is like a, a prophecy to all of his sons. And he brings out all of his sons, 
Jacob does, and he, he, he speaks to each one of their lives, and he says, now imagine this, you show up at your dad's uh, bedside, and he's, he's, he's there, and, and uh, he's about to bless you, but not only does he bless, he blesses you if you've been good, if you've been bad, he says, <laughs> next. I mean, it's, 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 this, it's this beautiful poem, I'm just glad that I wasn't there to be called out. But what he predicts, what he prophesies comes true about each nation because each one of these sons becomes a nation of Israel. And then in chapter 50, which we didn't read the first part of it, Joseph asks for permission to bury his father from Pharaoh and he does. And this is where we're at, Genesis 50. So after this funeral, after Joseph buries Jacob, the brothers immediately get together And this is what they say in verse 15. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. And they say, now Joseph will show his anger and pay his back for all the wrong he did, they said. So they sent a messenger to Joseph before your father died and he gives instruction. But here's the thing. Soon as dad dies, they're like, "Uh uh-oh, now he's going to get us. It's been 10 years. And in that time, they haven't realized that Joseph is really a man of his own word. Can you imagine that? That that you And you may have experienced that you forgave someone and something later on happens, the passing of a family member, 10 years pass by, and they assume you're still mad at them. Oh, how hurtful is that? What do you have to do to prove it to them? Right? And not only that, it's the whole... They send a messenger. It says, before your father died, he instructed us to say, which is a lie. It doesn't say that. So imagine this. It's like when you were younger and you had a brother and a sister and you played rock, paper, scissors for your brother or sister to go ask mom and dad for permission, right? Have you ever done that? Is that just a weird thing? Okay, it's a weird thing, but whatever. Like you go tell mom. No, you go tell dad. I'll play rock, paper, scissors and you go and you lose. All right. So my... My brother's name is Dominic. So Dominic was asking, and now, now it becomes popular, asking for a friend. Bro, you're asking for you. Don't lie, right? So this is what they do. They send this messenger, and they say, this is what we want to say. And the messenger says, before your father died, he instructed us to say this. It's not even true. This didn't even happen. The scripture would have said that. So we, the servants of, of the God, your father, beg you to forgive our sins. So they send a messenger to Joseph to say, hey, go tell him that we're sorry for us and don't treat us bad. So here they're, they're starting again to recognize their sin, but why are they still reliving this? It's because they're still full of guilt. And I don't want to skip over that. I think it's real easy as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, to struggle with guilt after you've been forgiven. And it's not that you don't learn from it. And in, and in some ways, it's, it's oh, I, I, I've blown it. How can God ever forgive me? Yes, he's forgiven me. And then you remember it again. And then you go through that whole emotions again. And it's not the guilt. If guilt brings you to the place where you surrender to Christ, that's wonderful. But if guilt continues to be a theme in your life, I would suggest to check to see if you really believe in your forgiveness and I can't reassure you enough that God forgives all your sins even the sin that you promised you wouldn't do 200 million times ago but yet these brothers are still living in that sin regardless that Joseph has totally forgiven them and totally brought them in I mean what else does he have to do he sent an entourage to come and pick them up and he forgave them 
one of the notes that I wrote down is to make sure that when we are in front of God, when we are in our time and we're praying to God and we're confessing our sins, confess all the sins. It's not that God doesn't know all your sins, but there is so much freedom when you're so vulnerable and so open to God and you say, here are my sins and I am sorry and thank you for your forgiveness. Because sometimes what we do is we try to minimize our sins. Eh, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as this guy, right? Or even if you don't say that out loud, that's kind of what your thought process is. When we minimize our sins, we are actually minimizing forgiveness. Not because we're cheapening it, it's because we stop to recognize how great God's forgiveness is. So again, they sent this messenger to him, and then in verse, uh, at, at the end of verse 17, it says, when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. They couldn't even come and talk to me, I would imagine he was thinking. The brothers don't recognize who I really am. And more importantly, they don't recognize who God is in their life and in my life. They weren't even being honest. We've walked through, through the last couple of months, the parallels between Jesus and Joseph, and it's so unbelievable. I think I've come up with a list of 30, and then I find another 20. But one of the biggest ones that I recognize is that Right there in front of these brothers, Joseph was showing them great and mercy. And when Jesus was here on earth, right in front of the disciples, he was showing them grace and mercy, and yet they still missed it. And right before us, we experience and sense God's grace and mercy, and sometimes we don't even recognize it. The way that Joseph's brothers weren't willing to be honest with him, again, is similar to the way sometimes we're not willing to be honest to Jesus so when you come, again, when you come to Jesus, come right as you are, who you really are. You will experience the real love of Jesus. And it's not because all of a sudden Jesus' love becomes real. It's because finally we look up to Jesus and see it and experience it. At least that's been my experience. A lot of times, you know, you, especially whenever you know better, when you think you know better and you do know better and you fall short of it and you're ashamed of it and you don't want to deal with it. And this is what the brothers were facing. So verse 18, then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. So the messenger comes in, gives this great thing, sees Joseph crying. So they run in, they throw themselves down and they say, look, we are your slaves, they said. Which is interesting because earlier, and I just touched on it, when the people of the land were running out of everything, they said, we'll become your slaves. And he says, no, you keep 80%, give us 20% and everything will be fine. Joseph, even to strangers, were giving them grace and mercy and not making a single person a slave. And yet here they are saying, we'll be your slaves. But then Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Don't be afraid of me because of my position. So he had to handle both, both situations. Be afraid of me because of the position that I hold over you of the forgiveness that I can give or not give because I freely give it. And don't be afraid because I'm using my position that I have to give God glory. And I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that the brothers still over all this time, these last 10 years, being so taken care of that they missed that although Joseph was in this high position, this high place of control, he used that position for God's glory. And they missed that. 
They missed that everything that Joseph had been doing was not simply because he could, which he could, but it's because that was the way that he could best show how great God is. And that just reminded me personally about the positions that I hold in my life. Do I give God glory for those positions? First, as a Christian. Do I share my testimony? How, how readily am I willing to share my testimony? As a husband, how kind have I been to my wife? Well, if I'm honest, there's good days and then there's bad days, right? There's days where I could have, would have, should have done the dishes. And then there's days where I could have, would have, should have fell asleep on the couch. And all in between, the mean things that you say. Then my other position as a father, am I always giving God glory in the way that I treat my children? No, because I make them do the dishes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, even as a pastor, how, how, how am I as a pastor? Am I giving God glory for that? As just a regular citizen of this area, of this world? The influence that I have over people? The influence that you have over people? How gracious are you to give God glory? And that's what the brothers were missing. It also reveals that the brothers, what the brothers would have done in their position, and this is just my opinion. I think a lot of times the way we expect people to treat us is the way that we've treated people in the past. I think it re- reveals that some of the brothers, and I don't know, maybe all of them, they, they, if they were in this position, oh, I'm going to get you. And this may be true even if you, if you compare it to work, or maybe even if you're a student, um, and you have a, a wonderful teacher that isn't so great. Um, you think, well, I if I was his teacher, if I was her teacher, or if I was the manager, if I was the supervisor, if I was the lead, if I was the, I'd get you. You know, oh, I can't wait until I get promoted over it. You know, I just, it just reveals the way that the brothers saw how they would have used that power. And again, it's key whenever he says, he says, don't be afraid of me and my God that I can punish you. God is the one who handles the punishment and judgment in the end. It's not him. So then I wrote down, well, how do, you, how do you get to this point where you don't abuse your power? How do you get to this point where you don't assume someone's going to abuse the power? And one of the things I wrote down is doing what is best and what is right for somebody else regardless if you've been treated poorly. Doing what is best and right regardless of when you've been treated poorly. Forgiving someone without waiting for them to ask for it. And here's the climax of the, of the story, if you will, the, the moment that we get excited for and we love, and, and depending on the translation, but in, in the NLT, verse 20, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Some translation, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, if I ask you right now to think about a situation in your life or situations or events in your life where there was something that was so awful that happened to you, but then later on you saw how God used it for good, I hope you have a long list. And it's really a perspective, isn't it? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. See, a lot of times we we get to this thing that God is punishing me. These bad things are happening to me because I've done something wrong. Jesus addresses that whenever he heals one of the many blind men that he heals. And and the disciples said, oh, he's blind because his parents did something or he did something. And 
And that wasn't the case. And that's not the case here. Sometimes harm happens because people do bad things. But yet, God intended it for good. And then he explains it. And he says, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Again, he's recognizing that this evil thing that God used for good wasn't just for Joseph, but for everyone. He says, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. And, and, and I, if you're an underliner, uh, you can underline whatever you want, but I underlined it kindly, speaking kindly to them. How many times does a kind word, Proverbs talk about it, turns away wrath? How many times does a kind word totally transform the moment? If, if any of you deal with customers, you know that whenever you have a very upset customer, the way that you respond really dictates the rest of your conversation, right? Especially when you're being accused of all these things. The way that you handle your initial response really dictates what's going to happen. But So he assured them by speaking kindly to them. Kindly. Do you speak kindly to people? I wrote down sometimes, not as much as I should. Do I diffuse the situation whenever my character is on the line? You did. How do I fire back? But Joseph, he reassured them. He told them his testimony again. It was God. It was God. It was God. And then he said, and this is what God is doing for all the people. And then he reassured them by speaking kindly. God doesn't allow people to write the last lines of our life. He doesn't allow God, God doesn't allow people to do that, to dictate that. He's so in control of that. You know, I, what, I, what I've come to realize more and more is as God is working in our lives, we can go kicking and screaming or we can go with it. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I think one of the best examples of my life is whenever I was a new dad to two kids. Being a dad to one kid was scary enough, but being a dad to two kids, and eventually three, but two, and, and I remember one of the great fears that I had is we had Ryder, and it was, you know, all the experiences as a first-time father, first-time mother, and then when we had Aria, my great fear was how am I possibly going to love another child the way that I would love this child? She's going to be like second love, like all these irrational things I was thinking about it. Then, then my very smart wife, I highly recommend marrying someone smarter than you, by the way, but all right. Um, she said, you know, uh, something to the effect of love isn't addition or attraction, it's multiplication. I thought, oh, that's good. So what I experienced is that the way that I was going to love another child was not taking away love from Ryder to give it to Aria, it was multiplication of God's love. God's love for us to, to love it multiplies and extends. But what about when they're so different? And this whole theme of, of God being in control and we can go kicking or screaming or we can go with it and not that it won't be hard, but our, our position, our attitude. Um, one time we were driving from Oregon to Hanford to, for Christmas and uh, the, Aria was one and Ryder was like three and it was the worst trip in my entire life. It really was. Um, you know when the baby screams for like eight straight hours and you just wish that 
God would just come and everyone goes to heaven. That was one of those things. I mean, it was pouring down rain. It was so bad. It was so awful. I even rolled down the window and stuck out my head in the rain so I, to muffle the sound of the screaming and crying. And, and we stopped like a million times. And for me personally, get in the car and get somewhere. That's just me. I understand there's restroom breaks. I'm not very gracious with restroom breaks. We just peed like five hours ago. We're good. We're, you know. But here we go, and we're going, and, and Natalie's trying to do everything to calm down Aria, who's screaming, and like, I feel like she's turning like purple. She's probably not, but in my mind, and my head's out the window. And then there's Ryder just sitting there, just like, um. And, and it reminded me when we were driving, and she was screaming, and then Ryder fell asleep, and I was like, oh, can you just something, make her sleep, like, I don't, I can't, you've been there, and I, I was crying, like, everybody was crying in the car, and, and once we finally got to Oma and Opa's house, she stopped crying, and I was like, no, no, you keep crying, so that way everybody knows what kind of trip we had, but you know what I notice is, is we act like that, don't we? We, we, we kick and scream when we don't get what we wanted, Right? But we ended up in the same destination. Either we can go just sitting there, we go, we're going with the flow, we don't like it, it's been a long trip. Or we can kick and scream the entire time and yet end up in the same place. And that's what I see with Joseph. I, I, I mean, and we'll go back through all the things that happened to him here in a minute, but I just imagine that each one of these awful things that happened in his life, he could have kicked and screamed and fought the whole way, but he didn't. It just reminded me of Whenever I'm writing out my plans now here in pencil, when something doesn't go my way, how do I respond? Do I believe that God is using it for good or do I just assume that, oh, this is bigger than God or I can't handle this? So just real quick, and this is how I wrote out this, this reflection of Joseph's life. If Joseph's brothers never sold him into slavery then he would have never ended up in Egypt. And then if he never ended up in Egypt, then he would have never been sold to Potiphar. And if he never lived in Potiphar's house, he would have never been accused of rape. And if he was never accused of rape, he would have never been thrown into the jail. And if he was never uh, in jail, then he wouldn't have met the two uh, high officials, the baker and, and, and the butler of the pharaoh, and then interpreted their dreams. And if he never interpreted their dreams, two years later when he had been forgotten but finally remembered, he would have never been presented to Pharaoh. And if he was never presented to Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted his dreams. And if he never interpreted his dreams, he would have been second in command. If he didn't become second in command, then he wouldn't have been able to experience, to give forgiveness. And if he wasn't able to forgive his brothers, then he wouldn't have been able to reconnect with his father. And if he wasn't able to reconnect to his father... You get the point. But yeah, I see at any moment of those times, he could have gave up and threw in the towel. Because if he didn't bring in his father, that means the whole nation of Israelites would have not come. And then the line of Jesus that goes through Judah, Judah's one of his brothers, God would have done something different through however he would have done it. But this whole time, if this never happened, if this never happened, Regardless of where 
you're at in your life, if it hadn't happened, and the way that he responded, we wouldn't have been reading Joseph for the last couple of months. Could have been somebody else. I don't, I don't know what it would have looked like. But to recognize and to understand that God is in control regardless of our situation, regardless of how well we've behaved or not, and I'm not saying there's not consequences, there's plenty of them. But we can, we can scream in the back seat for the whole time, or we can be content and go and say, all right, Lord, what, what is it? How can I respond in this situation that brings you glory? I'm going to read the rest of Genesis 50. You could join me. It, it reads verse 22, and this is how Genesis ends. So, so Joseph and his brothers, verse 22, Genesis 50. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continue to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his sons, Ephraim, and he lived to see the birth of his children of Manasseh, his sons, Marcah, and whom he claimed as his own. Verse 24, he says, Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and put his body. Uh, his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. That's how Genesis ends. We started when he was 17 years old. Now we're coming to the end, these final moments of his life at 110. I don't know about you, but I would have not signed up for any of those trials personally. Uh, and if you're part of a life group, I, I ask this question. In some, some way I ask this question, what has been your favorite faith moment of Joseph's life? And some of you shared with me and shared with others, what's your favorite faith moment of Joseph's lives? And if you're like me, you want to say all of them because you don't want to exclude any of them. But what, what would be your favorite faith moment you know, I went through the list, and, and maybe it's a faith moment where you experienced something similar in your life and to see how he responded. But you know what's interesting? Whenever I was going through it, and I forced myself to rank them one through 100 or however many I ranked them, um, when I go back through this, what Joseph is remembered for is not where I... I, I put it so high on my list. And in Hebrews 11, it, it's the hall of fame, if you will, of, of people by faith. It is because of faith, and it lists all the people. When, when, when the writer of Hebrew writes what Joseph is a hall of famer for, what he's remembered for, verse 22, it's definitely not what I would have put as what he would be remembered for. He's remembered for his faith at the end of his life. Isn't that interesting? God's faithfulness had everything to do with God. That's what he is remembered for. It's at the very end he has this faith to say, so, so when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. 
And then he dies at 110 and the Egyptians embalm him and, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Which is important because Egyptians, yes, they embalm people, but once you put in a coffin, then they stick you underground. They didn't do that for him. I would imagine his, his request, hey, just put me in a coffin because one day God's going to come and I want my bones to be buried where he promised my people. But, that, but you know what is so fascinating and, and I think really why Hebrews... 1122 really talks about that was at the very end of his life. He had faith that God would return his body. It's because Joseph's faith was that God was going to be able to continue to do his work without him. You know, sometimes uh, you can feel, I don't know what you're going to do without me, guys. Or when someone retires, you think, I don't know how we're going to continue on this business, this work, this section of our job without this great man or woman who is coming to an end. But yet Joseph, right when he's about to die, even though before that, whenever it was, he had to remind his brothers that, yes, I forgive you. Yes, God is in control. He still believed that God was going to use his rotten brothers even without him. And I really think that is a really great place to be in, to recognize that it's not me, it's not you, that it is God. And that God will continue to do his work with or without you here, with or without any of us here. And yet he still wants to use us. That's the, the crazy thing about it all. See, at the time, the Egyptian goal at the time was always order. Egyptians, pharaohs were ranked based on how orderly the world was. How they, they would, the way they could measure success was how they were able to order a chaotic world. If everything was going right, perfectly lined up just right, then you're doing good as a pharaoh. That is not the goal, that was not the goal for the Hebrews and that's actually not our goal. Although we would love to have a lot of order in our chaotic life, right? But that's not the goal. The goal is to have a relationship with Christ that brings peace. Because the problem with trying to have complete order, complete control, which the Egyptians sought off so much, which we actually try to seek ourselves, is that once you get things so perfectly aligned and it's so organized and you have this order, then you spend the rest of the next day worrying about keeping that order. But for us, in our faith in Christ, we, we come to expect that we put things in order and that something will happen. But yet, we have peace. Yet, we have peace when we have a bad diagnosis from the doctor. We have peace when there's been an accident. We have peace when we lose a job. We have peace when there's a divorce. We have peace when we lose a loved one. We have peace when we've blown it in sin. We have peace... And not because of us and not because of maintaining an order because of our relationship with Christ. So the whole reason that I see that Joseph was able to go through all of this is because he had peace and his faith in Christ was present regardless of his situation. You can have order in your world. You can have peace in your life when order has fallen apart and everything's caved in because you have a relationship with Christ. Because the hint of what Jacob said, it's been a hard 130 years. But I'm only a pilgrim, a sojourner in this journey. My home is in heaven. There's a poem, and, and I'll close with this. There's a poem that was written by Grant Colgate-Tolaire. He was a psalm writer. 
uh, made more famous by Corey Ten Boom, and I think it really kind of puts a nice bow on this series, and I'll read it to you. It says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shutters cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. So as I was looking through weaving and tapestry and I was looking for the front side and the back side, I came across by Sarah Mitchell. She has two pictures. The first picture is of a lighthouse. I think it's behind me. And that's the backside of the weave. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in our lives that it just looks like a mess. And we're so scared that people will see the backside of our life, what's going on. And, and as the poem wrote, sometimes the dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern, pattern of his plan. And before that, he says that when God unrolls the canvas and reveals the reason why, then we can see the other side of the canvas, of the tapestry. And that's the reason why. So a lot of times, the sorrow and the pain and all that we are experiencing is really God working in our lives and it hurts and it's painful and we don't like it. But yet, sometimes all we concentrate on is the bottom side and what it looks like to us. But yet, God is continuing to do this great work in our lives. So as we close out this series, I just want to remind all of us that as Joseph said to his brothers, right when they threw himself and they wanted to be a slave, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. So regardless of where you're at this day, and I know it's a new year and some of you may have been off to a rocky start already, and some of you are off to the best year so far, God intends it for good. It may not look the way you wanted. It may not be as peaceful as you hoped for, the order that in which you had hoped for. But if we continue to write our plans in pencil and expect that God knows best and we just be obedient and follow him, one day we'll, he will reveal why it is. In a couple of minutes, we're going to take communion all together. We're going to have uh, three songs. And so please go take one of the bread and one of the cup. Uh, everyone is welcome who's a believer in Christ to take these elements and just invite you to go take them. We're going to take communion all together after a couple of songs. But during that time while you're worshiping God, just just spend time reflecting on situations in your life that you can now look back and see that God intended it for good. Let's pray. God, we just come before you so humbled and so thankful that you are the great weaver of our lives, Lord. And Lord, sometimes we get so wrapped up in, in what we want and what we desire, and yet we 
we know that you're in charge, but yet we fight this urge to worry and, and to fret over situations that are out of our control, Lord. But what we can control, Lord, is our, our response to you, our obedience to you, our faith into you, Lord. And we just pray that we can continue to grow in that, Lord. Lord, you've, you've not let, left us, nor will you, Lord. Your, your spirit is with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us, Lord. Sometimes all we need is just to take a moment to sit, be quiet, and reflect, Lord, on your word in prayer and recognize that you are God and that you're in control, Lord. Lord, forgive us when we complain and whine and think that we know best. We know that's not true. And Lord, everything that we do, all the positions that you've given us in our life currently and before, we just pray that we give you glory because we recognize that we're not where we are if it wasn't for you. Lord, I pray for anyone who, is, who, who doesn't have this peace of knowing you. I pray, Lord, that you speak to them now. I just pray that you just prompt them just to confess that you are Lord, their sins, and share it with somebody, Lord. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, let us take this time to recognize that you are good, that the bad that happens, that is out of our control, you intend it for good. Lord, we're thankful for this series, and we're thankful for the series up to come. And Lord, thank you for just the faith lesson that we've, we've got to witness and see in Joseph's life. Lord, we just pray that we can become more like you. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness when we lack it. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.